You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 114 of Take a Bow. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and this week we have such an exciting episode coming to you folks this week. This has been an episode that has been long in the making. It's with one of my former cast members that honestly may be like one of the most experienced cast members that I've had. And he literally has stories for days. Like I could talk to him and had an episode with him for like the whole year. I mean, his stories were just incredible. His We didn't even get through half of his shows, literally. Uh, he's been in nine Broadway shows. We are talking about Lance Roberts. We had a great episode. This week is kind of just so fascinating because he was just telling stories and I didn't want to stop him. And so all of these stories, we kind of bounce around from show to show. It's not your typical interview whatsoever uh, that you usually listen to on the podcast. But, you know, we talk about Finding Neverland. We talk about The Music Man. We talk about Sunset Boulevard, wonderful cast members that he's worked with. It's just, you name it, like he has stories about it. So I'm very excited to bring you all this episode this week. But before we get into that, Let's talk about some Broadway news, shall we? I want to start off talking about this week's Broadway news by saying happy trails to Beanie Feldstein, who took her final bow in Funny Girl just this past Sunday. And now Julie Benko is the current Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl until September 6th, when Leah Michelle is set to play the role. So very exciting stuff, and congratulations to Julie, who's now stepping in full time. She's amazing. Like, literally anyone you talk to is like, Julie Benko's a unbelievable talent and she's an even better person so so excited for her she deserves this and she's like gonna crush this opportunity that she's gonna be able to play fanny bryce eight times a week it's just fantastic another happy trails is in order where the cast of company closed on broadway this week and this is so sad i've been trying to get so many company cast members on because a i love them all and b just i just want to talk about company so um hopefully that's coming in a couple days but for now i just want to wish them all happy trails and best of luck whatever's next for them because i know it's not going to be long till they're all booked and busy again i love that show so much and i love this version of the revival that they created so once again happy trails to beanie and company and congrats to Julie Benko, who's stepping into the role of Fanny Bryce. If you go see Funny Girl, you will see her. Next up, we're going to talk about Heather the Musicals. Guys, I know it, like Heather's has a crazy fan base, right? Heather, I, I'm a huge Heather's fan. Like, you know, it's so good. And now I, I've never even seen it. This is literally their fan base is kind of based off of the soundtrack. So very excited to hear that they announced that Heather the Musical is premiering on the Roku channel on September 16th. Now, for those of you who are big Ryan McCartan fans who you know that I had on the podcast a couple weeks ago and we talked about Heathers and all the things, 
he is not in this version. So this is not the off-Broadway New York version that we saw um, about eight years ago on Broadway now, I would say. This is the West End version that is currently playing in the West End, and we will be seeing them on the Roku channel September 16th. So pretty soon, to be honest. So keep an eye out on it, and I am so excited to actually like watch a professional version of it and not like a bootleg kind of thing, which is you know either terrible quality or someone's head is in the way. Uh, you all know what I'm talking about. Um, anyways, moving on. We have some drama this week, the whole Bridgerton musical scandal. For those of you who don't know, there has been a musical made, uh, like an unofficial, they've been calling it the unofficial Bridgerton musical live. And they did it live in concert, inspired by the Netflix series, of course. And they did it at the Kennedy Center this past week. Well, it was crazy because they blew up on TikTok, you know, the whole idea about it. The songwriters blew up about it. The songs themselves blew up. And now they had this incredible cast, you know, like Kelly O'Hara was in the cast and, and Ephraim Skies and all these wonderful talents and Broadway people uh, were actually involved in this cast. Well, then Netflix <laughs> has actually filed a lawsuit about the unauthorized use of their property after Barlow and Bear, the writers, they claimed that they were using Bridgerton's trademark with permission, but Netflix said that that was never, we never permitted that. We never gave them the right to do that. Or we never allowed them to do that. So it's this kind of whole thing. I was honestly very surprised when, when I saw all of this because I thought this whole time, they were separated from Netflix because it literally says the unofficial Bridgerton musical. Like I thought it was clear. I didn't realize that they claimed that they were using Netflix's trademark and they had the rights and everything like that. And because they were saying that, and because they did a live concert of it, Netflix has, has filed a lawsuit and are trying to sue the, the company and the fact that they did it live at Lincoln center and made it like made a profit off of it you know so crazy things going on there lots more to come on this because this has been this has been pretty big news just because of how big the show is how wonderful the cast that they assembled was the fact that they were just trying to get it to broadway and just the all the things like it, there was a ton of buzz around this the show sammy candled was the director of it who hopefully will will actually come on the podcast to talk a little bit about it and talk about the the project itself maybe not the lawsuit and everything that they're going through but uh just crazy stuff that's happening and yeah i'll, I'll obviously keep you all posted because this will be something to follow for sure and then of course that that's kind of it but i do want to round it out with a bit of news that happened a couple weeks ago that i don't believe i ever mentioned i'm a huge fan of the mj the musical show on broadway right now i know there's a lot around that show and that's also a bit of like a controversy for some people but I'm a huge fan, and I think that Miles Frost and Tavon Old Sample and everyone involved in the cast is just incredible. And I'm so thrilled that they dropped a cast album with their voices, with their talents, and all of the things of Michael Jackson's music. So go check that out because I literally haven't been able to stop singing it for the past two, three weeks, and I'm obsessed with it. So I think you all should check it out and literally see how similar Tavon and Miles 
sound to Michael Jackson. It's just absolutely incredible. But you can tell it's like they have their own things and it's not just like an exact replica, but it's so close and it's just so unbelievable. Anyways, that's all the news I have for you folks this week and I'll keep you all posted with all that crazy stuff. It's fun to see all the new stuff break. You know, there's news all the time and... We'll be back with more news next week. So that's all I have for you folks this week. And I think without further ado, we should just send it over to Lance Roberts. So without further ado, Lance Roberts, curtain up. On this week's episode, we have a Broadway veteran on the podcast today. He's been in nine Broadway shows. Yes, nine Broadway shows in 12 years. So like not even 12 years because of the pandemic. It's just craziness. He's been jumping all over from Fighting Neverland to Music Man to My Fair Lady to Sunset Boulevard. I mean, literally, you name it. He's been in one of your favorite Broadway shows. So welcome to the Take About podcast, Lance Roberts. Hey, Eli, how are you? Hi, Lance. I'm so good. I'm so excited for you to be on the show today. I cannot wait to talk to you about your career and uh, all the incredible things that you're doing now with Music Man, because I know there's a lot happening, um, but we'll get all to <laughs> I love it. Um, what I, The way I usually like to start my episodes, though, is to just you know kind of start from the beginning and ask you, why did you get started in this industry? What inspired you to tell stories? Why are you still in it? Like, what's what's your love about the industry and telling stories in Broadway in general? Well, I got in it when I was a very little boy and <laughs> I was lost. And then I thought it would be good to fly. No, just kidding. I think that's a good story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like you were telling Peter Pan, like you were starting to fly and all the things. Yeah, I was like, I, what's going on here? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, but I just wanted to say like for people who are listening is that because I met you when we were doing Finding Neverland mm-hmm. and you were a little pipsqueak and now you're this <laughs> big grown teenager. Oh gosh. Sort of amazing. But luckily... <laughs> You know, <laughs> on on this little screen, you know, I could still take you down because you still look little <laughs> to me. You know, but oh my I, gosh, I've seen you in person. No, uh, but to your question, I grew up in New York City in in Harlem, and uh, it was the '60s and '70s, and you know, people can't see. You know, I'm I'm a little older, but. I still look good, y'all. Yeah, so, you do. Just in case. No, but uh, <laughs> no, the uh, no, but I was I was a, a kid in the sixties and the seventies in New York, and you know the the world was I don't know if it was different, but uh, there were things that were happening. And as far as like performing to be an African American, all I knew about uh, performing as an African American was performing music at the Apollo Theater because mm. that was some place that I used to go to every single week. Uh, that my mother would take me to see, you know, from Aretha Franklin to the Jackson Five to James Brown. I saw him many times. Um, the Temptations, my favorite boy oh, group. Um, yes. And uh, and I even saw the Supremes one time. I don't remember them playing a lot of times there, but I saw them. And um, so I would see, you know, these African-American performers, and I thought that was cool. And uh, my mother tells a story that I used to dance around in the house to all of the songs, you know, when she would oh. play the records. And so one time James Brown invited all of the kids to come up and, and uh, dance at the Apollo. Oh, and no so she's way. like, going up there, going up, showing what you do. And I run up to the stage, <laughs> put on the edge of the stage, 
and I just looked at the audience and stood there. Oh my God. I didn't move a muscle. So um, uh, it's interesting that I do perform now, but I do right. remember like every single time that I, I, I get on the stage now, I often think about that. I'm like, well, <laughs> this is your chance. You know, well, you know, you don't want to miss a chance, you know, like to right. dance and sing and tell stories on the stage. So take that chance. So I think that's always been a seed in me, even though I didn't know that African-Americans could do it as a career because I didn't mm. see them. Um, but I do remember I saw the cover of Ebony magazine and Melba Moore and Cleavon Little were on the cover because they were in uh, a musical called Pearly on mm -hmm. Broadway. And, and I knew, and they were dancing on the cover. And I'm like, wait a minute. I had heard like Pearl Bailey was on Broadway, but I just thought she stood on the stage and sang Hello. Right. I didn't know there was acting and dancing and, 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 storytelling and um so uh again i was like oh and then i saw them on a couple of shows and i saw her sing like i got love and i'm like oh so she's just really singing it wasn't really until i saw the whiz in 1974 oh. and the great andre de shields yes um, as the whiz and oh stephanie mills and felicia rashad was in it um uh, there were just all these great uh, performers. And even though it seemed like it was a children's story, it had a story. And I was like, whoa, that would probably be fun to be a part of. And again, I just thought of it as music. So I did sing the songs a lot, uh, but I, again, I didn't think about, oh, I could be in the theater. Um, but then I got sure. lucky enough to go to, uh, I won a scholarship here in New York uh, for a program called A Better Chance. And they oh. take uh, kids out of the city who test well on uh, the the uh, the reading and the mathematics test here, and uh, they give them a scholarship wow. uh, to go to boarding schools around the country. And so I got this scholarship. And even though I was going to go to the high school of music and art, um, I also got this scholarship. And my mother was like. She was trying to get me out of the city. Um, she said, well, why don't you go to this school? Um, and because it started before high school of music and art, she said, and see if you like it for a couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. I get up there and uh, the school was called Masconomic Regional High. And it was in a little town called Topsfield, uh, Massachusetts. And actually the Tritown area it was Middletown, Boxford in, in Topsfield, all hmm. shared this regional school. Um, and e although this one was a, a public school, it was one of the top like five public schools in America. And that's why the A Better Chance program um, allowed them to have this program. Because normally it's like, like Phillips, Andover and Exeter and places like that. Sure. Um, and so um, I go there and I just fell in love because they had everything. They had sports. They had theater. <laughs> and um, again, I didn't know that I could be a part of the theater, but um, I liked it. So I helped to sell tickets in the posters. And someone who was to become like one of my dearest friends, and we're still like best friends to this day. Well, that was in the mm -hmm. 70s, y'all. That's a long time. Oh. <laughs> um, there was an actress in uh, the play, and I think it was called oh, uh, Romanoff and Juliet. 
and the young actress in there who I befriended and who I'm still friends with today was two-time Tony Award winner Donna Murphy. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so, um, you know, by the time that spring uh, rolled around, they were going to do the musical. It was going to be Oklahoma. And um, and I was in the singing choir there. And, you know, Donna and I were talking and she was like, you should audition for the musical. And I was like, they don't have black people in musicals um, because of wow. the movie, movie musicals. I didn't see them, you know, except right. for like maybe like it was Porgy and Bess or Showboat or something. But I any every other music movie musical, I didn't see them. So I didn't understand. What do you mean I'm going to audition? Well, I auditioned. I got into Oklahoma. She was Lori. I was like Skidmore. And I had such a glorious time. Um, I didn't understand the, the craft of acting. Mm. at that time. Um, but I knew that when I got up there, <laughs> um, I, I got to like sing and dance and not stand there like I did with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and people were changed. They were yeah. affected. Uh, they would smile. And of course they patted me on the back and said, oh, you did a good job. But inside, I thought it was better than me just doing a good job. It was the fact that they were affected by the storytelling that was going on and they were changed. And I wanted to be a part of that. And and so, again, I didn't go on to college to study that. I studied it in college, uh, but I was okay. an economics major at Tufts. And wow. um, Donna went to NYU. <laughs> she was going to be an actress, and that was what I thought white people were able to do. Wow. <laughs> so That's I thought that was cool. Um, and I never intended to do this professionally, again, because I wasn't sure that was something that I could do. Um, but then I got a job in Boston's longest-running musical. It was called The All Night Strut, a 1930s, 40s mu- musical. Wow. And I got it from – I went to the audition because all the other kids were just going to auditions. Uh, the National Tour of Ain't Misbehaving was holding auditions in Boston. Yes. And they thought I was too young for the show, but the director – and uh, was friends with them, happened to be sitting in the audience. In those days, we used to audition actually on the stage, on the, yeah. the Broadway musical or, you know, the wow. National Tour Theater at the Wilbur Theater. And I get a call and they said, oh, um, we wanted to know if you could come down to the all night strut. And I was like, oh, sure, because in college we didn't have money. So we would sign up to be volunteer ushers. And because All Night Strut was the longest running show in town, I had already ushered at the All Night Strut and I thought they were calling me to usher again. And so, (laughs) and I said, oh, um, well, I can't usher, you know, this and this uh, show uh, because I have class. And they said, oh, this isn't to usher, this is to audition. I'm like, to audition. Stop it. And And I kept thinking, I'm like, I can't audition for that. I remember these guys dancing and jumping and all kinds of things. But, you know, when you're a kid, everything looks spectacular. Um, right. But I went to the audition anyway, uh, because that's the good good thing about being young. It's like you can't really make mistakes. It's like you nope. just go out there and just do what you want to do. Um, and, you know, you know, without hurting people, um, but you do something just to see what the adventure is going to be. And I, I went out there. I auditioned. They gave me the job. And again, it was 
only going to be a summer job because I was going to be in the Toronto cast of the All Night Strut. Uh, but then it turned out that they uh, brought the Toronto cast to Boston, which is where I was already going to school. And I was hooked. I was hooked. Um, uh, the show did close and I did come back here to New York just to rest in the, the spring of my, I think it was the second half of my junior year at Tufts. And I came here to rest. And while I was here resting, got <laughs> the revival of the Me Nobody Knows. Yeah, there's <laughs> no resting in this industry. You know, well, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's lucky because, you know, what we call rest sometimes just means we're unemployed. Um, right. So, <laughs> so we're, right. We're in between jobs or like Elaine Stritch. Likes to say she's at liberty. Um, oh. <laughs> and uh, I so I came here to rest, you know, really to, and I was going to go to summer school. Um, but then when I got the Me Nobody Knows, um, that was good. And then I got another job and another job. And here we are 43 years later. And I've been like so blessed. And along the way, um, I kept finding great ways that I could affect people mm. by telling these stories. And I am just like, I get juiced by, yeah. by telling the stories. Like during the day before the show, like right now, you know, it's like a couple hours before Music Man. And I'm like, oh, oh, my bones hurt. My muscles hurt. Is my voice there? Me? You know, you're like, you're checking right. everything. <laughs> and it's like, you know, Lance is thinking about, oh, he's tired. But then I walk into the theater. I'm still tired. But then I see familiar people, you know, the dresses, the stage managers, the doorman, the other uh, performers, musicians. And then you're still, you're sitting there in that half an hour and you go, oh, how do I get to do it? And then you right. get your clothes on and then the overture starts and bam, you drop in. And then yeah. all of, you know, and for Music Man, like, you know, the the uh, barn door raises, the audience is already there with you, they're cheering, and then you get that first laugh, that first applause, and you know that their lives have been changed, in even in that millisecond. And, man, it's like a drug to me. It's like I <laughs> really, really love that feeling, you know, that we're having the shared experience. And that's, you know, I, I hope I answer the question, but that's why I continue to do it because right. it feels so good. It keeps me alive knowing that we're constantly sharing stories and, and energy and, um, uh, and, and affecting change. Yeah, can change, even if it just means changing someone from, you know, walking down the street, you know, dealing with the world to walking into a theater and smiling or walking into a theater and crying. It just allows mm -hmm. them to to get out of their body. And it does the same thing, you know, for me as a performer. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed. Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Right. I know. I've always said that, like, I love theater because it seems like it's a place where literally everyone allows themselves to be vulnerable. Yes. Like, the people telling the story, the people listening to the story, like, everybody. It's, like, the most beautiful thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And especially, like, nowadays, because I feel like everyone just, like, so, like, I don't know, not, like, close off, but, like, I don't know. We've all just dealt with a lot of stuff, especially within the last two years. Right. And I feel like we've all just kind of turned everything off and turned our emotions off and kind of mm-hmm. kick it to the curb. But once we get into that theater, we can, like really sit there and watch someone tell a story we just let ourselves get like enthrusted in it you know Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful um well that's crazy your your story is unbelievable i mean it's so fascinating i can't believe donna murphy like 50 something years ago you know that's insane okay hold Um, on calm down not 50 something years ago no (laughs) in the 40s at least (laughs) okay 40s 40s fair enough fair enough i'm sorry i'm sorry also, because she looks so beautiful, people will go, wait a minute. She's as old as you are, Lance? No, uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe – no, I mean no offense to Donna Murphy because I'm obsessed with Donna Murphy. But I was literally like, I can't believe you were like her age. I was like, this is incredible. We, you both look fantastic. I, and I think I think it's the theater. It keeps yeah. us young. It keeps us youthful. It, totally. it keeps us involved. Um, um, I often say that this is why I think that people who are, who are studying the theater now um, and uh, or, or even filmmaking, um, if you're thinking about being an actor, a writer or a director to learn about other things so that mm. you have other interests, because as artists, they flow through us. I've only played an actor once, and that was with you when I played Mr. Henshaw in, wow. in Finding Neverland. That's the only time I've ever played an actor. In right. A I played everything else, though. I've been doctors, lawyers, of course, slaves. You know, I've played all different types of roles. So it's like you want to learn about different things because you want to allow those things to flow through you. And like I said, I think that's what keeps you. Um, uh, young and youthful because there's things that you're interested in through these different stories that you tell. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's so funny that you say that because if you go to Music Man, for anyone who's listening, like if you go see Music Man on Broadway, mm-hmm. you're going to see Lance play like five different professions. He's like a <laughs> cop. He's like a loyal. He's a salesman. He's like all these things. It's incredible. Like talk to me about like you know, music man, we'll start mm-hmm. off with and um, going from all these different, you know, hats kind of like mm-hmm. just all these different stories that you have to tell within two and a half hours, three hours show. Well, um, it's it's interesting because I don't think of it as a lot of different stories. I think of it as a sort of uh, taking a lens on a time in America mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I am African-American. Um, and you yeah. think like, wait, this takes place in like 1912. And uh, an interesting story was that when I was joining this show, 
I had a similar thought as when I was joining uh, Finding Neverland and My Fair Lady. All of those oh, yeah. shows take place around the same era, uh, era 1912, 1913, all three right. shows. And the first time, um, you know, I'll get back to, you know, playing the different roles, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, but how I sort of approach it. The first time was when well, we were doing Finding Neverland. Um, it was the first time I had ever replaced in a show. And um, I didn't have very really? much time. Yeah, because wow. I was I was down the street in Robert Bridegroom, and because of vacations and there were some injuries and things like that, they needed a last right. minute uh, person to play uh, Mr. Henshaw because Paul Slade Smith was going to take over for Kelsey, and uh, someone needed to play Paul's role <laughs> as the leading actor, and right. um, and so you know they they called me into audition. I ended up getting the part on a Friday. But I needed to start on Sunday. Luckily, oh my god! Uh, yeah, Robert Bridegroom was stopping on Sunday matinee, so I basically threw all of my things in my dressing room. You know, because the theater I was in was Roundabout, was on Forty Sixth oh, okay. Street, the Lunt Fontan, where you guys were doing Finding Neverland on Forty Sixth yeah. Street. I literally <laughs> threw everything from my dressing room into a, a little Dwayne Reed bag and walked across <laughs> Times Square and came to your theater. Uh, I didn't even. Insane. I wasn't sure which role I was playing. Oh my um, god! But I found out that I would be playing the dog, um, Nana, <laughs> because that was my first fitting. They were like, yes. "We hope the dog fits." <laughs> you know? That's hilarious. So, uh, speaking of hats to wear, so I go yes. over there um, and I'm playing. You know, here we are, J.M. Barry's acting troupe, the beginning of the 20th century, and I remember saying, "Wait a minute." I, you know, I'm a black guy, and now I have to I have to be this classically trained actor. And, mm. um, of course, I can do that. But I'm like, does that really make sense in 1912? So I started Googling, and I remembered an actor called Ira Aldridge um, because of the Ira Aldridge Awards or for African-American classically trained actors. Um, sure. And I Googled him, and he was one of the top African-American actors who did classical theater in London in the 50s. And I was like, oh, wow. wow. But it was 1850. What? Yes, exactly. Oh I, I never gosh. told you the story probably. No. So what happened was I was like, wait a minute. This really isn't non-traditional casting. This is just carrying on a tradition seven years later. It was oh, 70 years later. God. So, um, and so, you know, doing that Googling and research, I was like, oh, okay, I get this. I get my place here. So a little side story. I did tell our director, Diane Paulus, and uh, when they were doing the tour, I wasn't able to do the tour, uh, but she did come up to tell me, she said, well, we've cast an African-American in this part again, now that you've told me that that is part of the history and the legacy. And then she said, and we cast the understudy black too, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm actually, I mean, I know we were talking about Music Man, but I'm actually, I want to follow up because I've actually been meaning to ask you this, but you know, like as a kid, you don't necessarily realize these things mm-hmm. in Fighting Neverland. And when you're in a show like, like Fighting Neverland and it's a timepiece and all that, right. you correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were the only African-American actor. What is, what, is that like challenging? Like, what is that 
light because I I don't know as a kid I never like realized it you right. know but now as we as I become more educated and everything like I realized how big of a deal that was so what was that experience like for you well it's interesting because well most of my career I've been the only African-American in the show really um, yeah in fact Music Man wow. is the most diverse cast I've ever been a part of get out of here yeah, where I mean, wow. not I. Th- I don't. I don't even know the numbers. There are so many uh, different ethnicities in Music Man, and different people Truly. from different countries. I mean, our star is from Australia, but we have right. another Australian, <laughs> which they didn't even know each other. Um, one of the kids oh is is Australian. Um, he's Australian American, but it's like, and then we, you know, we have Marie Mullen from Ireland, and then we have you know, seven or eight African-Americans. We, our original cast had three Asian-Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, we have different fates. I mean, it's so diverse there. Um, we have uh, two Cuban-Americans in the show. I mean, the show is so diverse. So I've always oh, been sort of like, you know, for lack of a better term, one of the token uh, performers mm. in the show often. Um, and uh, now in Finding Neverland, we do we did have two um, actors of color, but they were lighter skinned and they were Hispanic um, that right. people may not have noticed. But <laughs> uh, but there were two people of color. And uh, but fascinatingly enough, Diane Paulus's shows are always diverse. Mm-hmm. And I know Finding Neverland was sort of dinged for being like this all white show. And that's not something she doesn't even think like that because her shows are always diverse, whether you right. look at Pippin or or the new 1776 or Waitress yes. or uh, all of her shows are constantly diverse. So um, it wasn't a big deal for her to add an African-American. And she wasn't even thinking like that. It just sort of happened. But when mm-hmm. I drop into a show like that, it's not so different. But I do like to figure out my place. And that's how I was sort of tying in Finding Neverland, uh, My Fair Lady, and Music Man, because they were the same uh, era. Sure. I had the same process for each show. When I started My Fair Lady, the same thing happened. I almost didn't go to callback because I'm like, this just isn't my story to tell. Get out of here. And then um, I went because I had such a wonderful time at the callback uh, with Bart Shear and oh, Ted Sperling. You, you can feel how they loved uh, the piece. And so I'm like, Oh, I would love to be in the room with these gentlemen. Aww. And uh, it tended, it ended up being really great because they brought in like this woman who understood Edwardian culture. And she also talked about the black Edwardians at that time. Uh, oh. There were wealthy people in uh, England who happened to be uh, from Africa. Uh, that wasn't new. Um, and, uh, so then again, I felt very comfortable. And of course there, there are tons of, of lower class black people um, there, you know, who are cockney and, um, that's not new either. So because I played both of those classes in my fair lady, um, once again, I felt comfortable. I was like, this is my story to tell fast forward to music, man. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, here I am back in 1912. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, music man, Iowa? Corn? Right. <laughs> Wait a minute. But um, again, oh doing God. some research because I wasn't first thinking about um, 
I'm not going to make people think that I'm just brilliant, you know, in my research. I wasn't thinking so much about uh, the African-American Iowa. I was thinking about what does my, you know, at the beginning, I'm uh, on the train and I'm one of the salesmen. He's just mm-hmm. a bang, beat, bell, ring, a big, oh, great, go. Neck, oh, my God. Go, I'm a bullseye salesman. And I was like, what kind of salesman am I? What do mm-hmm. I sell as a black man in the Midwest? Where would I be welcome? What would right. I have to have that people go, oh, well, it's okay that he's here because we need this. Mm. So I was just looking for different things that were famous at that time and came across something about African-American salesmen at the top of the 20th century in the Midwest. And I was like, whoa, that was a thing. Mm. So um, when we started working on the number, our dear Hugh Jackman, also apparently had been doing some research and just happened to say, oh, and you guys, um, I have a packet about these salesmen um, in Iowa you know, in, at the top of the 20th century. And it included the information about the African-American salesmen. Hugh Jackman That's had fantastic. already, he had done the research as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so being like a black person in some of these things, what I've been learning is that we think of it as non-traditional casting, but in reality, most of the times, all types of people were in these spaces. It's just that what happens is that we moved away from the truth. Right. And wow. I, know, I know when that happened, because as musical theater, especially musical theater, uh, became more and more popular, and dinner theaters, which we don't really have very many, I think there's like maybe one still working in all of America, but dinner theaters were everywhere. Summerstock was everywhere where um, those shows tend to be in smaller towns and suburban towns. And those towns were typically mostly Caucasian. And so their Uh. pool of actors were Caucasian. And so the the musicals typically became more Caucasian, not because that was the truth. Oklahoma on Broadway was mixed mm-hmm. originally in 1947. Wow. Yeah. But we think of it, oh, it's an all white show. No, but it, it, it didn't start out that way. But that's just the way it morphed as it went out to, you know, as Mr. Henshaw would say, the provinces, right. uh, <laughs> the birds, you know, yeah. so, um, so that's what I'm, I'm discovering. So now uh, you know, after this third time, I'm going, okay, Lance, you don't have to like think like, oh, how do I tell this story? Just try and figure out like, was I really there? And you'll, you'll probably mm-hmm. find out, yes, you were. You know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, women, women thinking like, oh, they're, they're not heads of companies and things like that. Women have been starting companies <laughs> forever. Right. Uh, the, the first self-made millionaire in this country was a woman, was yep. an African-American woman. I, I think her name, Mad- Madam C.J. Walker. You know, so there there are there are spaces that a lot of us were in that we may not know about. Um, but as you do some research, you realize you probably you probably fit. And no matter what your gender or your race is or, or what country you're from, if you have a feeling inside and you think that 
you have a story to tell or uh, something to invent, I think everyone should, like I said before, it's like we have to hold on to our youth and just try it and do it. You know, forget about the word no. Amen. You hit the nail on the head. Oh, my God. It's, and it's hard, but it, you have to do it. You know, you yes. learn to do it. Well, enough people are going to tell you no anyway, so you might as well tell exactly. yourself yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, I want to talk to you more about you mentioned so many people already. You've mentioned working with Donna Murphy. You've mentioned working with Hugh Jackman. I mean, you've worked with some incredible legends, Norbert Leo Butts. Uh, you've worked with uh, Sutton Foster currently. I mean, like incredible. Like what have you learned from them? Like in watching them, like that you have been able to be like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. I mean, like with Hugh Jackman coming in, knowing that he's doing all the research, like, does that just like motivate you to just bring your A game every day? Like, what is that like when you have like at the head of the, the show, like just coming in and doing the work? Well, I find that with, with working, I find, I, first of all, I learned different things from, every actor and not only the famous sure. people but you know we have a seven-year-old in our show and i Aww. watch her and i watch how she works and i learn from her oh i, I love that from her. I, I the uh but uh the one thing that every person has whether they're seven years old or you know i work with 70 year olds um it's the love uh, humility, grace, mm. um, just sort of knowing that you're part of a team. You know, a great quarterback is nothing without the defensive end and the right tackle and all of that. Well, that's right. what happens when you're when you're creating art on the stage or on, on television or film. It takes more than one person to tell a story. And I see that in stars all the time. I, I, I definitely see it in Hugh. You know, he's our big star, you know, and, and, um, and then Sutton's our big female star. But they also are so, they will look everyone in the eyes at some point in the show because they know that they can't do it alone. And it's, uh, it's, it, it fills each one of us. And, you know, people talk about being seen they see everyone. Really? Our director, Jerry Zach, sees everyone. Our wow. choreographer, Warren, Carla, they see everyone. And uh, the, these are things that I, I constantly I, I get from, you know, definitely the big stars and, and many of like the veterans. I mean, you know, people who just are doing this time in, uh, you know, we have like people in our show, Linda Muggleson, Eddie Corbidge, people who have been in like 10, 13 Broadway shows <laughs> and you know, original cast. Insane. Even, yeah. you know? um, and they're very similar. You know, mm. they just, they, they love what they do. Um, and I always think it's a blessing if you have the talent, um, you know, but if you, if you really like harness the talent and really think about that, it's a gift it's allowed mm. to just constantly flow. It, it flows when it's a gift. If you're giving a gift, it just flows. And, and you know, Hugh gives the gift. He gives it. I mean, man, oh, man, he just gets out there. And I, I don't know how he does it. I mean, 
I'm a little older than he is. Right. And I look at him and I go, but still, he's not a young chicken. How does he right. do this every day? He dances, he sings, he acts, he has a good time. And it's like, when this is over, it's. I think it's going to be, I'm not really affected by when shows are over. I mm-hmm. will be affected by this one. And I don't know really? if it's because we we did it after the pandemic, when which is so important for our entire universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> I think that it's going to affect me because I don't know if I've been around this much joy on a daily basis. Wow. I don't know if I've ever been around that. That's incredible to hear. And to be completely honest with you, I mean, you know, I saw the show and I think that that's pretty, like you could just tell as an audience member, you can just tell that y'all are having the time of your lives up there. There's not like an ego in the cast. You guys are all having your own moments. You guys all have moments to shine in the show. It's fantastic. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So Thank well. You. So well done. Yeah. No, seriously. it's. I loved it. It probably... It probably is one of my favorite shows like on Broadway right now, if not my wow. favorite, you know? Yeah, like, and I knew nothing about the Music Man. Like, I, I went into Music Man, I'd never seen it in, in any production, and was like, oh my God, this is one of those shows that's going to be like those long shows, because all the shows that were written super long ago are mm-hmm. like super long. They have the same like kind of songs that are, that kind of mesh together once yeah. you get to know. But like, this show is just... It's not like that, you know. This show is special, and the cast is is, is incredibly special, you know. And it's just fantastic. I'm obsessed Thank with you. it. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm so happy to hear that y'all are making a cast album now. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, can you talk to, to? Can you talk about that? Obviously, I know there's like no date or anything like that, but like, I mean, it, that's pretty rare for a revival to get like a cast album, especially mm-hmm. with Music Man. They already have multiple albums, you know. Right. So, how cool is it to know that you guys are going to be having an album? I think it's exciting, and uh, the producer Rob Shear, who uh, really loves musicals, loves recording musicals. Oh, really? Um, So when we were there, it felt like a happening. It felt like we were uh, thrown back into the old days of recording a musical. Um, And uh, I don't think I'm telling anything that isn't known because I've seen some of it on the interwebs. Um, (laughs) But we did it in a style that was similar to the style of the cast albums of the 50s and the 60s. And, uh, you know, we didn't do it in a studio, uh, we did it live with the orchestra 
on a stage. I love that. You know, hundreds of microphones and, you know, spread out. And uh, so we were socially distant and they had to spread it out because of sound and everything. But it was it was thrilling. It was um, it was on our day off. So, um, <laughs> what day off? What is that? Yeah, yeah what's a day you off? You, know? you don't have days off, Lance. <laughs> um, you know, but it was really thrilling, and uh, it, it was just sort of exciting. And like for me, I'll never forget the moment. Uh, I, I think I saw a picture on Playbill where they caught me when I was doing um, the rap. You know, for young people who haven't seen the show, it's the first musical, and it was written what 1957. Mm-hmm. It opens with the rap. And that's what I was doing earlier. You know, he's just a bang, beat, bell, ring, a bang, that whole thing. Well, what do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? He's a music man. He's a what? He's a what? You know, it is like, and I know like a bunch of rap stars like Ice-T and, uh, and I think Ice Cube, they all did like a version of the song. Oh, that's um, so sick. Yeah, it's it's on uh, YouTube, I think. And because um, they know how hip it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was so funny that someone, our Jenny Anderson, our photographer, caught a picture of me like when I was doing it, and I saw myself. I was like, "Whoa, you were into it!" And I yes. was because I was like so into it. I was like, "Oh my goodness, I'm recording a, a cast Come album, on. and I've done them before." But there, I was on a stage, but I was recording, and then right. you know, you don't have your costume on and everything, so it's just you. So it's very internal, you know. Mm. Um, I wasn't like doing it like I do it on the stage. I was doing it for the record. So I really, I remember going inside myself and just sort of like feeling this guy, you know, who's trying to like explain who this Harold Hill uh, guy is. And, (laughs) and she caught the moment. And when I saw that photo, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's exactly how I felt when I was doing it. She really, really caught it. Um, so that was, it was just that. exciting. And I haven't even thought about this, but I think about it, but like I haven't told anyone. Again, we had 21 uh, kids making their Broadway mm-hmm. debut. Uh, two oh of them were God. older kids. They were like 20s. Uh, but 21. And it's I insane. looked around at one point and watched them. Um, this happened when we were on the Tony Awards, and then it wow. happened again uh, when we were doing the album. And I looked at their faces while they were singing, and I'm like, I cannot imagine having that experience at seven years old, at 10 right. years old, even at 16 years old. And here are these young kids having this experience of recording an original Broadway cast album with Sutton Foster and you, Jack. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like of the music, man. It's like, what is yeah. that? And it's like they will have that with them forever. Oh, absolutely. Forever. This whole and experience. It's like, yeah, it's such a cool experience. Um, now, you were on the cast album of Finding Neverland. Oh, you were. I wasn't. I, I literally joined three weeks after it opened. How dare I, they? I know. It was fine. It was fine. I'm not mad about it. One day, one day, Lance. We'll make one it happen. Day. Don't worry. Uh, it's a goal. It's a goal for sure. And to perform on the Tonys. I mean, what those oh. kids and what this show is doing, like, that's so cool. And I know I've heard that week is just ridiculous of rehearsals and performing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I can't. And a imagine. lot of people don't realize we actually filmed the Tony Awards the morning of the Tony Awards. Oh. We full out. Everything is 
live and everything. We film it in the morning just in case the live show at night, something goes wrong. They can really? In. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. fascinating. They haven't, I don't know if they've ever had to, I'm sure maybe once or twice, but it's not normal, but they prepare just in case. Right. Um, it's also a good, you know, final dress rehearsal. That's what they call it. They're filming the final dress rehearsal. Sure, 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 sure. Um, Especially so, with how, I'm sure, like, Radio City is n- not like any Broadway stage, you know? Right. So I'm sure there there's some rehearsal that needed to happen, for sure. Well, just to get uh, on, uh, to, just to get to center stage, what we did for um, uh, My Fair Lady, for Get Me to the Church on Time, time you know, mm-hmm. Lincoln Center is a pretty large stage. Oh, my God, it's so, beautiful. And, you know, before you hit, the stage you count five six seven eight go <laughs> to the stage well at radio city it is so wide you have yeah. to like say 20 19 18 17 <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> i'd be out of breath before i got to center stage it's, you know <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing oh my goodness oh my god so how many times have you performed at the tony's I've only performed there live, but I was on it a third time because I was in a, a straight play. And what oh, you do okay. a straight play, they film you at the theater and then they show it at right. Um, oh my god, that's fantastic! Yeah. Three yeah. times, that's so cool, Lance. Oh, so my god. I call it two point one time. Two point one. Yeah. <laughs> no, two and a half works. Two and a half yeah, works. Right. Give yourself a little bit more credit there, you know. Um, oh my God, that's so cool. Well, um, I want to talk to you about, I guess, Broadway's calling because you you did something spectacular over the pandemic, and are you still doing it? Uh, no, we're on hiatus. Yeah, between uh, seasons. It- it, yeah, we're between seasons. We're at Liberty. Yeah. Um, yes, at Liberty. <laughs> um, so we're available. No, so Broadway's oh Calling was a show where, um, you know, during the pandemic, we didn't have any theater. And right. I saw that, you know, people were longing to see their favorite stars. And I was like, well, I don't just want to, like, show, you know, Broadway stars. Why don't I, you know, show something that I'm really interested in and i am truly interested in it because i remember what it how it happened to me um the first time a broadway performer gets a call uh because it only happens once yep and uh sometimes it's life-changing sometimes people are unfazed by it um <laughs> you know i was talking to a girl the other day and she was like you know i didn't even realize how important it was until it was over the show was yeah, over. yeah that same like, thing here yeah you go, oh, yeah, oh, I'm going to do a Broadway show. And then it's over. You go, oh, my goodness, that was phenomenal. So right. <laughs> um, I called up <laughs> some friends, and uh, my first show was with Glenn Close. Oh, my um, God. And then had P.B. Herman on it, Wayne Brady, Laura Bonanti, uh Chuck Cooper, Lily Cooper, Lilius yep. White. Um, <sighs> just, just people, Donna McKechnie, Donna Murphy, of course. Right. Um, <laughs> and she's not mad at me that she wasn't on the first show. Glenn Close is the she, first show. Okay. <laughs> only because Donna wasn't available for the first of show. Of course. <laughs> I know all about that one. That's right. tricky. The guests are the hardest part. Yes. 
you know? Yeah, so we did that and we did 40 episodes during the pandemic and it was oh my God. not only fun because I would I stayed in my house. I didn't leave for the first 10 months. Even yeah. I didn't leave. I got the groceries delivered. I did I barely went to get the mail. And yeah. uh, not only was it great for me personally, I felt I didn't feel like trapped and here I was, you know, in this box, you know, with my, my Broadway posters on the wall. I felt <laughs> connected to my friends, I felt uh, connected to the theater, but because we were on YouTube, um, it's still on there, Broadway's Calling with Lance Roberts, um, we were on YouTube and lots of people from all over the world could write in the chat and, and, and talk to us. They asked questions and then we started raising money for different charities and it just became like a great way to continue to affect people, a, a great, a way to connect when we really could not connect. Um, And so it was very, very special. And so what I hope, because that was sort of a pandemic special uh, where we were, you know, inside the computers, um, I'd like to do a live and in-person version. Oh, um, that would be a very special feature, which I'm not going to divulge now, but uh, during, I have a break coming up that I'm going to film a couple of episodes and oh. you know, then we'll see what we can do with the show moving forward because it's uh, audiences and people have come up to me and mentioned it many yes. times. And, um, and I think it would be a lovely thing to continue because <laughs> there are a million, well, actually there aren't a million. Someone did um, the math. I think a little less than only 200,000 people have performed on Broadway. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It's it's a small community. Yeah. It really is. Everybody knows everybody. But that, yeah. that I mean that's still that's still a large number at the same time. Yeah. Point. Well but, <laughs> yeah. but over like a hundred and somewhat fifty years. Though. Right. So it really isn't like at any even when we had all of our Broadway theaters working um, I think there's 41 Broadway theaters. Um, an average cast is what 25 mm-hmm. in, a, in a musical, and then we have some plays. You know, at any given time, there's only like a thousand people working on Broadway. Right now, we only have 24 theaters. Um, mm. You see what I'm saying? It's not totally that many people. Um, that's why you know. Again, when I when I go do the show. Even if I'm tired, I realize, you know, what a a special privilege it is. Um, You know, we can tell stories wherever we can. But when you get to Broadway, it's like a very small percentage of people are working on Broadway and get to Broadway. And it is special. And audiences know it. Creative staffs know it. You know, actors do know it. But it's, it's something to remember that this is not a common occurrence. No. You know, well, look like at you. The Super Bowl <laughs> is not a common occurrence. You know, it's like it's, we can exactly. all play, a, you know, a, some tag football, but to make it to the Super Bowl, that's and this is our Super Bowl. Yeah. Eight times a week. Eight times a week. Who did that to us? Um, well, I mean, it's crazy. Like, that's why I, I'm, I'm so blown away about your career. I mean, like it's still new like it it is like it's 12 mm-hmm. years you've done nine broadway shows and and you can't even count a, 
roughly three years because of the pandemic. I mean, so right. that's like nine Broadway shows in nine years. Like that's Broadway that pandemic ruined my streak. No, oh, trust me, I, I have no no doubt in my mind that you're going to make up for it because I know there's many more down the line here. Well, it's it's so funny. It's like um, you know, it it did make us all pause, but it also gave us time to reflect. Mm. Um, so I really don't, I don't like go, Ooh, yeah. I don't hate you because other things came out of that. Uh, the other relationships, other friendships, um, things that maybe I think we all learned about ourselves, what is really important, um, and why it's important. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because what's the point of doing a lot of Broadway shows if you, if you aren't reminded how it can just slip away. Right. You know what I'm saying? So even though I always say, oh, I ruined my streak. I was in almost in a, a new one every year. Yes. Um, it's okay. It's yes. really okay. Um, because it makes this one very, very special. It makes the next one even more special because, totally. uh, you know, you still, you, you still never know if you'll ever work again. You know, exactly. You, that happens forever for everyone at every level. You right. always think that, um, you know, so that, you know, I, some of us call it the damn demic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I actually haven't heard that one. Before. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. The damn demic. But I, 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 I don't want to say I'm thankful for it. Um, but I'm, I'm think, thankful for the humanity that happened during it. Yes. And that enriches us as human beings. It enriches us as artists. Um, it enriches us as workers. It's still mm-hmm. a job. And it's right. like, you know, to get up the gumption to do your job. Um, it's good to have something in your background where you go, oh, well, there was a time when I couldn't do the job. There was a time when I thought the job was never going to happen again. Right. You know, so. That's just to so say real. that, you know, because I, I give the pandemic a hard time, but I'm like, at the same time, all right. I there was good that learned. came out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, you, you know, especially like, I mean, I always say that it's hard because like during the pandemic, I was like, this sucks. Like I'm yeah. a student and I'm supposed to be doing school online, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. I look back and like that two and a half years, I've learned more about myself than I ever had mm-hmm. about in my entire life. Like, you know, right. like that reflection period and just being able to like soak in all kinds of knowledge, you know, like mm-hmm. reading and just doing all of the things like catching up on, on film and our oh, history wow. of our industry. Like it's, it was invaluable, you know, mm-hmm. at the same time, like looking back on it. So I, I am, there are some good out of it for sure. Well, I want to technology. Leave with, yeah. Technology for sure. Yes. Thank God for this because yes. otherwise this was not, uh, this would not be happening. It would have just affected so many more people and we wouldn't have mm-hmm. been able to talk during the pandemic. We right. literally would have had no communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's crazy. Um, I do want to leave you with one last question and then I'm going to let you go, I promise. I want to ask, because you did nine Broadway shows, you've done nine Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. If you get to do a 10th, do you know what show you would want it to be? Like, do you well, still have a dream role? I don't have a dream role. You that don't I don't have. have. Okay. No, it's not like I played all the roles, uh, but some of my favorites, uh, like Cole House, of course, and, and Ragtime. Oh, um, I love being the king of cartoons in the Pee Wee Herman show. I just, I yes. love the, uh, the, of course, the joy, you know, let the cartoons begin. You know, it just was like, 
crazy. It was fun. And oh, quick story. When I did that, it was sort of like a dream. And the reason why I like it so much, because when you dream of being on Broadway, you think you're always a star. You're, mm. you're rarely in the chorus. Um, right. <laughs> although I know dancers who love being in the chorus. They love the dancing of it. They love the camaraderie of it. But I think most people think, you know, they're going to be bright lights and spotlight and applause and everything. Well, the King of Cartoons, people were so excited when he burst through that door that oh. on my very first performance, we had to hold. And P.B. Herman is looking at me like, are they still applauding? Um, oh, my God. They were excited for the King of Cartoons. And I'll never forget, like, I put my arms up and they're applauding. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm standing center stage. And they're still, we're holding for applause. Yeah, because so, that was your Broadway debut. Technically, yes. Kind of, right? I had gotten another Broadway show um, oh, okay. 30 years earlier. Um, oh, but it closed before I ever made it onto the stage, so I don't. Oh, um, I yeah. See. So, but so kind of ten, kinda. It's not. Really, I mean, sorta. I mean, I did get it. I was. I had a dressing room, but I never went wow. on the stage. So, um, uh, but uh, anyway, Martin Sharnan uh, famously said to me, and he it was his follow up show after Annie, and it was called the first about the first African American. Uh, person to make it into the major leagues of Jackie Robinson oh, and awesome. David Allen Greer made his Broadway debut as Jackie Robinson. And um, when our reviews were not spectacular, he said, well, don't feel bad and don't badmouth any of the papers. If we're lucky, we all get to go around this block again. Mm. So, I mean, it took 30 years for me to get around the block between the right. first and coming back for the P.B. Herman. But man, oh man, when I got on that stage, I was like, I'm back on the block. So that is, of course, one of my favorite roles. But getting back to your original question about if there's a dream role, there isn't a dream role. But mm -hmm. if I could, and it's not written yet, and I hope somebody out there writes it, I would love to play a school teacher who changes the system for oh. the betterment of the students. Mm. Um, Say that again. <laughs> yeah, you see what I'm saying? So <laughs> that is a dream role of mine because teachers to me are, uh, you know, our parents instill us with so much, but mm -hmm. it's the teachers. Um, I, I even went down and wrote down uh, my teachers for every grade of elementary wow. school and I just wrote notes about them and I just all the things that I learned from them and they are what make me possible I love it's that just, yeah and it's so I want to it's play. so true yeah I want to play a teacher who make who changes a student's life where you know and it's not just about learning it's about just feeling like part of the world and understanding the world around you good and bad mm. you know i don't they the this filtering of the world it's like no you know warn them warn them right. oh wait i'm the witch no never mind no that's <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's yeah. hilarious it's so good have you seen into it oh yeah i love oh it oh my too. god it's so I've seen good every version and this version is the simplest and it's my favorite i don't I, I even understand why i cried like a baby um again maybe it's the pandemic but it was so beautiful and oh. um the words are just 
so spectacular in this piece and you can hear every last one of them. Um, but it's the truth. I mean, children will listen and uh, we just got to give them the chance. And so I do want to play a teacher that I love that. Between. I don't know. It's not written yet, but I'm, I keep looking for stories. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to find one. It's just like, it's, you got to write it. Well, would you write it? Ideas. Um, yeah. You know, that are floating around in my oh, head. I love it. I, you know, but I'm only a mediocre writer. That is not, <laughs> you know, I'm okay, but there are better people out there. And I'm hoping that, you know, you know, maybe if I get a good format, you know, one of the sure. great writers <laughs> could take it and make oh, a great story out of it. That's amazing. I love it. That's beautiful. I would, I would be the first audience member for sure. I, I'm there. I'm there. Well, uh, by the time we get done you'll be like my student teacher assistant you'll play there you go there you go i'm like your yeah. college like assistant that you right? like, want to bring in that your mentor your mentee yeah. <laughs> i love it well lance thank you so much for coming on this has been an absolute joy seriously i love, I love learning thank about you. you and your career all the things yeah and everyone go see music band keep an eye out for the cast album and uh, check out broadway's calling too on youtube so it's fantastic i'm a huge fan so yeah thank you so much lance thank you eli Take a bow, Lance Roberts. Literally, take a bow. Take a million bows. Uh, it's so incredible. I love talking to him about all the things, especially Finding Neverland and, and kind of like, you know, being the token black African-American artist in a show. Uh, that was absolutely fascinating to get his perspective on that and how he felt just wild. I'm so thankful that he was able to be candid and everything. And then, of course, hearing about these stars like Hugh Jackman and Glenn Close and all of these wonderful things, and to hear about the work that they put in to be as good as they are still when they're like huge stars. It's what makes him the talents that they are. It makes them on that A-list tier, you know? It, it makes them who they are as performers. And you can tell that they're outworking everybody and that they just want to be the best and do the story justice. And it's just incredible. So to hear that from a direct source working with them is just so cool. And honestly, like in a way feels like I've had them on the podcast, you know? Like just to hear the stories about them. I mean, I could tell Hugh Jackman stories and Sutton Foster stories for that matter. And like, everything just tracks and the fact that everyone that they work with can say the same thing and that it's not a front and that they just genuinely care about their art and their craft and they believe so much in the stories that they're telling that they work like it's incredible and it only pushes me who as an actor like obviously isn't as big as Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster and Glenn Close and all these wonderful people you know, to put in that extra work and to see that that's the work it takes to get to the top. And that work never stops. And to know that they're still doing it is just absolutely incredible. So this was a wonderful episode. I think his stories were absolutely fascinating. And I hope that you all found them interesting, maybe learned something and whatever you may have seen. Hopefully it was entertaining, all the things. So thank you folks for listening to this week's episode. And we'll have another one for you next week. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. For this episode's Curtain Call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. 
This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Brittany Bigelow, Katie Rosen, Alan Seals, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow is Tessie Tokash, who edits the audio and all the visuals for this podcast. A special thanks to patrons Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners at PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com slash TAB. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe on the platform that you're currently listening to this on. Also, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at TakeAboutPodcast. TakeAbout's logo is designed by Giselle Bustos, and the music is by Nikki Torsha and Cormac Collinon. Bye, everyone. Hope to see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.